What is up, guys and gals? I'm Zach, your host of the Auxoro podcast, where we talk to music artists, entrepreneurs, athletes, and other interesting human beings to dive deep into the story beyond the surface. This episode is brought to you by The Aux. The Aux is a short-form podcast produced by Auxoro that brings you daily words of wisdom to jumpstart your day. Five minutes or less, no bullshit, no topic off limits. On The Aux, we've explored tips to avoid overdrinking, how to get over an ex, cold showers, and more of that good shit, good advice. So if you're ready to start your day with five minutes or less action-packed, I promise relevant things that I've had personal experience with or have read about, saved quotes, things that have made a meaningful impact in my life, I try to elaborate on a little bit more so that hopefully people that listen can get something good out of it. So that is the aux. This time, we sat down with Gavin Chops, who is a man of many hats. He is the tour drummer for Chelsea Cutler, co-owner of the artist management group Bear and Owl. He is also part of the artist duo that goes by Obvious Yellow, and he's also a DJ. On this episode, we spoke about a lot. We got into a life-changing experience that Gavin had on a heroic dose of mushrooms. We got into playing Red Rocks, and we spoke about living your life as a vessel to help other people, the servant mentality, which has been something that I have been trying to work on and something that Gavin has a lot of experience with. And we had a very in-the-moment connection. I've done a lot of podcasts with a lot of different people. And this podcast was definitely one of the most highly connected I've ever felt to a guest. And at the end of this conversation, Gavin said that he felt like he had just played a show. And that is the biggest compliment. The, this is, that, that is why I do this. That's why I do what I do. I want to create that feeling of living in the moment on a podcast and being just so connected with people in a conversation that the rest just falls away. Your problems fall away for the next hour, hour and a half. We are just going to talk in the moment. And that's what happened. And... I'm grateful for Gavin for providing the massive energy. And if you're wondering what massive energy is, well, we're going to get into that very soon. So without further ado, here's the wide-ranging conversation with Gavin Chops. Levels are good. Cool. All right. Gavin, Gavin, Gavin. What's up? I think a good place to start would be Joshua Tree. Since mm-hmm. we were just talking off camera, off audio, since it's a podcast about psychedelics and kind of both of our experiences with psychedelics, I am well versed in the research. I have not tried them. You have some experience with psychedelics and also reading about them. But Joshua Tree seems like it was a, a life-changing experience for you. How, how, what kind of was leading up to that? Um, well, I mean, Joshua Tree has been ever since I was a kid, like all my favorite like rock stars would go there for 
like an an out of body experience to kind of get a new perspective on music or or life or whatever they were doing. And so it was always a dream of me and one of my best friends to go there and get in the desert and kind of uh, get in our heads a little bit. And so it was right after um, I was working for Beatport at the time. Okay. This was like a year after college and it was going out of business. And I knew when I got back, I was going to be like, I wouldn't have a job. So took a vacation right before there. And we went out to LA, take a couple meetings. I was managing this artist at the time. And um, we decided to go out to Joshua Tree. And it was funny because we didn't have a... None of us, we weren't over 25, so we couldn't rent a car. Mm-hmm. If and I, We didn't have credit cards either. So we hitchhiked out there kind of. And uh, this Damn. guy, yeah, because we, we had an Airbnb that we had to get to. And uh, we hitchhiked out there. This guy drove us three hours to Joshua Tree. And all, all he wanted was us to buy him a meal when we got there. And we like invited him to stay. And three hours for one meal is a great trade-off. Really great guy. Um, actually, we still follow each other on Instagram. And he's, uh, he's doing... Got to keep the great, relationship yeah. alive. So we, um, we bought like a bunch of uh, mushrooms off of, off of some guy that was recommended from, from a friend. And uh, we went out to Joshua Tree. And we did something called a heroic dose which is taking over like five grams of mushrooms each. How many times the <laughs> typical dose is that? I think you usually take like an eighth. Okay. Um, and yeah, so it's, so, it's, you're, you're gone for a while. Like it's, yeah. it's pretty, it's pretty powerful. More than just a regular dose. Yeah, definitely. You're more a superhero. Of, yeah. <laughs> definitely felt like, felt very alive, more alive than I ever felt. We got to Joshua Tree and it's this surreal place. It kind of feels like you're on Mars. And uh, that night we decided we were going to take it in the morning for something like the sunrise. So that night we just like kind of hung out, chilled out. And then we woke up the next day, we five grams each. And we kind of just like, we climbed this mountain because it takes like a long time for it to like settle in. Mm -hmm. And I just remember getting to the top of the mountain and starting like to feel like in my stomach, like something was happening. And I kind of had to lay down for a while. And when I got back up from laying down, I remember looking down at Airbnb and being like, I feel like I haven't been to my Airbnb in like a thousand years. So there was just no concept of time. Time time was totally gone. Yeah, this is this is crazy. I've never like openly spoken about my psychedelic experiences. So this is cool. Dogs oral exclusive. Yeah. Psychedelics. And yeah, it pretty much lasted for like six six hours, six, seven, maybe eight hours. I don't I don't really know because time was kind of gone. But it, it took me on this kind of journey um, within myself where I learned a lot of concepts that were already like, everyone knows these like concepts, like pretty basic concepts like respect, Mm -hmm. love, but they just now had so much more meaning. For example, like I was holding this little rock in my hand and I was looking, I held it up in front of me and behind was like a big mountain. And I was like, these are both made of the same material. You know, it's this rock makes up that yeah. mountain. And I was like, so why, why should I treat this rock any differently than I treat this big mountain? They're both made of the same thing. And then I was like, I brought that to people. It's like, why should I treat every, why should I treat people differently? Like we're all the same, you know, like I should treat everyone with like an equal amount of love, no matter like who they are. And that just like really hit my heart, like in a huge way. I felt that a little bit 
with meditation, I'm sure to a much lesser extent because there were no no psychedelics in my system, although I plan on there being in the future. But before I started meditating about a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. like you were saying, these basic truths that we all know to be like you're, you know, you're supposed to respect every individual and, and love one another. And I knew that in my brain, I had the knowledge of that. But a lot of my life, I, was, I felt like I was living on an autopilot Mm-hmm. before meditation, I still get into autopilot all the time. It's just like now there are these moments of clarity where I'll see someone walking down the street and I'm just want them to be okay, which never happened to me before that. Like I, w- I would never be able to f- look at a stranger and want them, like whatever's going on in their life. Like I hope that person is doing well. Like I have no idea. Or sometimes if someone's snappy to me, or says something like, uh, like you're a fucking idiot or something, or, or like someone's just not in the moment at a coffee shop or something, or like the server it looks like an asshole or says something dumb. I'll be like, well, they might've had a really fucking shitty day. Maybe they're going through a divorce right now. Whereas before I would have been like, oh, fuck that dude. Like, I'm not yeah. going to tip him. Like, I hope he has a I hope he fucking shits glass later. <laughs> like, I don't, yeah, I don't give a shit. But yeah, like I, it's, it's so interesting to me that psychedelics can bring that out to even a greater extent. It sounds like from what you're saying mm-hmm. to bring those basic truths that everyone knows that you should, you know, be a part of like loving and respecting and, you know, the mountain and the rocks, everything's made out of the same thing at its base, at its core. So to hear that from you is it's getting me excited to eventually dabble dabble in the mushroom game. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something not to be taken lightly. It's definitely, it really changes your mind or, or opens your mind. And you never know what you're going to find. You might end up confronting some things inside of you that you maybe forgot about or kind of have been avoiding, which people consider like a, like a bad trip. But I think it's necessary like to confront like who you are as a person and all the things that you kind of bury deep down because that is what is going to allow you to grow into um, who you want to be. Or even if you don't want to be, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make you grow. And growth is, growth is so important, at least for me. Yeah. So, so before you were on the way to Joshua Tree, mm-hmm. met the hitchhiker, and you were already, you had the mushrooms out ready to take. How did you get into the mindset of not being afraid or accepting what was about to happen? Because I think the majority of people, probably those listening to this podcast, have had the chance to do psychedelics at some point. Mm-hmm. And some people have said yes, and other people have said no, which is completely fine either way. Me, I've said no multiple times because when it came down to it, there's just something inside of me that just said, you know, you don't know what's going to go on in your mind. Do you have things that you're not even thinking about that may pop up or, you know, this could be hell on earth. And for some people it is for at least a little bit of the trip from what I've heard. How did you get into the mindset before of accepting what was going to happen? Luckily, like I've always been a pretty open person to new experiences. I... I'm definitely a risk taker. Um, I've always been like, I, I used to do like extreme sports when I was younger. 
I've what always, type of sports? I I used to like do like freestyle skiing. I have a half no pipe at the house I grew up at, so it was like skating and anything where I was able to like injure myself. I I broke a bone like every year of my life till I was like eighteen. Wow! So I was always open to like not necessarily pain, but I'm I was okay like accepting things that I might not be comfortable with. And I was always playing music too. So being in front of people, I don't know. I've always been super open to new experiences. So when it came to psychedelics, it was like, yeah, sure. Like, let's try this and see what happens. You know? Yeah. It's the experiences in my life that make me who I am today. And so I want to try, I don't want to try everything. Like there's definitely things that I don't want to do, but things that could have a possible positive outcome or something that could teach me about myself, which is what I knew about psychedelics is that a lot of people like learn about themselves in ways that they never thought possible. Mm -hmm. So that really interests me. It seems like there could be a connection between the extreme sports and the the psychedelics because I've never, I, I snowboard a little bit, you know, 20, 20, 30 days a year, but I've never done the actual freestyle competitions or done big air, anything like that. But there is an aspect just from the audience point of view where you just have to let go and whatever happens, happens. You're going at a speed where if something goes wrong, you're going to fuck yourself up. Yeah. And a lot of guys and girls do. So me just hearing that, the the freestyle skiing and extreme sports and then the openness to psychedelics, there does seem like there's a connection between when the time comes, like whatever happens, happens. I, I've prepared for this. How, mm. However, the preparation differs between sports, drumming, taking a dose of mushrooms. You've done the preparation and now just fucking do it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's been like a saying that me and my friends have said since like high school, it's just like, send it, you know, just, yeah, just, just do it. And, uh, it's been like a motto. I mean, it, it takes different versions. You know, it's not really a mature thing to be in like a, a business meeting and be like, yo, let's send it. Or like, it's, Dude, it's not always applicable. You should try it. Let's but, fucking uh, send it. There's definitely like letting go, accepting all the same thing. Just accept what's, what's about to happen and be present in that moment and give it your all. You know, that's, that's what sending it is, you know, in a different way. That would be funny to watch a business meeting with the guys in your crew and then you're meeting with someone else who has no idea what you guys are about. And then before the business meeting starts, you're just like, let's fucking send it. And you just like <laughs> sit down. You're just like, oh, what's going on? Like, let's, uh, let's discuss the, the meeting, the matters at hand. <laughs> There's a dude that I, I went back and forth with when I used to write for a publication in Richmond. I went to school in the University of Richmond and he's a professional kayaker and his name is Bren Orton. And he says the same thing. That was the first time that I ever heard someone say, send it. Because mm-hmm. we had talked back and forth on the phone. And when he goes down a waterfall, he's just like, yeah, just fucking send it. Like, I just make sure my line's good. And then after that, there's not much you can do. You just fucking send it. And I was like, that's sick. Yeah, definitely. I feel like it definitely stems from like the extreme sports world. Yeah, I was going to say another, another extreme sports thing. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's just huge in that culture. Cause like, say like you, there's a jump ahead of you and like, it's really hard to gauge when you're at the top of like, where we are about to drop in before you hit the jump, like how much speed you need. And it's always the first person who goes over where, you, where once he goes over, you can kind of see how fast he went. So the first person who had to do it, it's like, I have to send it. It's mm-hmm. like, I might end up overshooting or undershooting it. 
but we'll see what, we'll see what happens. Yeah, see, see what happens. So after Joshua Tree, mm-hmm. where was your head at? And what was your routine after? Because I know you said Beatport was, they were getting sold, right? And so yeah. that was kind of next. How were you psychologically and emotionally after that trip? So that it changed my life for forever to the point where like, I wouldn't have spoken to my parents about it, but I literally went home from that experience and was like, hi, mom and dad. Like I went to the desert and I did some mushrooms and I'm a better person now. And I explained to them like all the lessons that I learned. And of course they were uncomfortable with that, but they couldn't really be mad at me because how can you be how can you be mad at someone who's telling you that they're a better person and that they exactly, want to, yeah. they want to like give something back to the world and they want to treat people around them better. That happened. And then from there, what I kind of had so many thoughts about where I wanted my life to go, like during that trip and I wanted to just be on my own, not work for like a, a conventional job. So like after after Beatport, I pretty much like st- tried starting my own management company, which I still run today called Baron Owl. Mm-hmm. It started after that. Like pretty much it was it was pretty much a catalyst for where my life is today. Um, I started my management company. I started just working odd jobs to make money while starting it. I worked, I was a bike messenger. I was a waiter at multiple places. I worked as a real estate photographer. Mm-hmm. I worked as a real estate analyst. And then, so you're doing everything. Everything. And I was starting my business while doing all of these things. And then I moved to Australia for a while just to like check out the scene over there. Yeah. How long was that? I was there for like, I think for like five months. Was that a planned thing or you just ended up staying longer? than expected. Well, I work with some artists over there. So I always wanted to get there. And one of my best friends, Tucker, he, he's been pretty much been my best friend since I was a kid. He was like, dude, you got to go to Australia. Like you got to go check it out. Because yeah. he hired me at, the, at this real estate company mm-hmm. and we would get lunch every day at the water. And we just pretty much give each other motivational talks of like where we want our life to go. And I was like, all right, like I'm, I'm going to go to Australia. And I knew some guys that I met on a Euro trip like three years prior and I just hit them up. I was like, is there any cheap places for rent in your area? I'd love to like come hang out with you guys. I'm going to move to Australia Mm -hmm. for a bit. And they were like, just come live with us. And so I went to Australia and I lived with this awesome band called Sunnyside. And they kind of totally changed my perspective on what it means to be an authentic artist, what it, Mm -hmm. how it like, how to live like, well, like they just live, like the, their lifestyle was just so different than it is here. And yeah, I've, I've really brought a lot of that back with me to the States. Was that feeling of wanting to be on your own, would you say it was a truth that you knew you eventually wanted to do or, or kind of pulling at you while you were at your full-time job, sitting, sitting at a desk, I'm assuming like kind of like the normal nine to five, did you feel that pulling at you before and then it, the trip kind of made it more apparent, like what we were talking about before, like the truth that you know, but you don't feel? Or was it just kind of like it rocked you out of nowhere and you knew what to do? I'd say it definitely, I definitely knew these things about my life, but Mm -hmm. I was scared and I didn't think they were possible. And after Joshua Tree, my seeing all these new perspectives from, from that trip, like definitely activated me to 
go on the path of of what I actually desired. And uh, yeah, it was def- it was definitely a catalyst for for everything. Massive energy. Yeah, I was reading energy. your newsletters. I was watching your videos that Ben sent me. It seems like a lot of the things that we've been talking about so far, especially the the extreme sports, psychedelics, following your vision, dropping the job, going out there on your own, massive energy is kind of this encompassing force in your life. Tell me about massive energy and, and what massive energy means to you. It's a feeling that I haven't felt since I was like a, a kid and it's just come back into my life as I've started um, drumming on tour with like Chelsea Cutler and getting in front of all these people. And it literally like, I, I kind of feel it like right now, just like kind of talking about it. I feel... I do too. It's get, like... Get uh, the tingles. Yeah. It's like, I feel... Imagine yourself, you're in a cage and you want to get out of that cage and someone opens... You've been in this cage for like a year and you want to get out of that cage and someone opens the door and you just sprint out of that cage and just be like, I'm out, I'm free, I'm here. Like, I want to give everything I have to everyone. And that's, I mean, that's pretty much how I started to feel when I would go on stage. I'd get yeah. on stage and I would just feel this feeling in my, in my chest and in my heart. Like my heart just starts beating really fast and I just feel like electricity going through my whole entire body. And that's what it looks like in the yeah. videos. Yeah. You know, you, you, I've seen a lot of different drummers and some are more chill laid back. I guess it depends on the type of music you're playing too, but you get your entire fucking body into it. Like you look like you're losing your mind on stage and this is only on video. I know I'll eventually see you play in person, but to me, that was like a, a glimpse of massive energy and to sustain that for a whole show is incredible. You should have your uh, your tour manager lock you in a cage before the show, or just like strap you to a chair, well, they, just like ready to go. They actually started like um, my tour, tour manager uh, Manny and, and JT, the keyboardist. They pretend like to to open like a door on before I run up there, and I just run. Backstage. I run on stage, yeah. So that gets me pretty amped up. Yeah, I mean, I just I just watched the Travis Scott documentary. Yeah, I just watched that last and, weekend. Um, that was he is like a pure example of just like massive energy. Like he gets people amped up like on his own. And like one of the things he said is like, I want to leave a trail behind of inspiration. And I think inspiration a lot of time doesn't come through words. It comes through action. Mm-hmm. So when I'm, when I'm on my drum set, I want to, there's all these people watching me. I want to show them like how much like I love what I'm doing and like how much energy I put into that moment, how present I am. So, so then they can understand and be like, oh my God. So like, that's what I have to do. Just have like no fear, have courage, ju- just to be yourself and just give everything into that moment. And like, I've talked to like a lot of people after the shows and a lot of people hit me up on like Instagram. And that's like, that's what they, they comment on. They're like, it's like your energy up there is, is inspiring. And like, it's helped me like, with my own life. And that that's become a big reason for pretty much doing anything in my life now. It's just like, obviously help, helping other people is, is a huge yeah. thing. It seems like drumming is one of those activities where you can get a physical, emotional, and spiritual release, I'm sure, all at the same time. Mm-hmm. This is one of those activities that just demands your your attention. One of the things that I love about podcasting is kind of like the mental, spiritual release where you're just locked into someone 
for mm-hmm. an hour, hour and a half and nothing else matters. You don't, you don't give a shit. And, but you don't have that physical aspect at the same time. Like yeah. I love working out. That's why I love working out for uh, baseball all through college was the highlight of my day. I love to just forget about everything and just be like, fuck this. I'm going to go squat, deadlift. I don't give a shit. Like mm-hmm. nothing else is going to fucking matter. And so podcasting is the first time I felt that mentally and emotionally too, like kind of mimicking that feeling before I go in to a game mm-hmm. where it's like you're jogging out of the bullpen and you could fuck everything up. Like you could have a terrible performance, but whatever, like I fucking prepared for it. So we'll see what happens, but you're getting all three of those at once. Cause you're having the physical aspect, the emotional aspect, the spiritual aspect for an hour straight. And I'm sure that takes so much out of you to sustain. Oh like, yeah. W- what does it feel like for someone, if you're able to describe it in, in words, mm-hmm. if I was to be transported into your body while you're drumming at Red Rocks, what would be running through my mind? What would I be feeling? What are like the bodily sensations that go on for you while you're behind the kit? So, I mean, my whole body just feels like like being electrocuted in a positive way. I usually amounted to like a volcano too. You know, if you could kind of look at a volcano erupting, that's how it feels like inside my body. And also, or just like anything, like like a, like a star exploding, you know, like that's the energy that, mm-hmm. that I feel and that, and that I harness. I feel just, I guess in terms of how I feel is like my heart beats really fast my blood, I feel like my blood rushing like through like my arms, especially because that's, I mean, I'm, I'm drumming and using my arms a lot. I feel just like, I literally feel like just the blood going like to my fingers and back and then through pumping through my heart. My mind is just, it's like, a, I'm like focused on like a, like, a, like I'm a cheetah looking at a prey. It's like that kind of focus. It's just it's like, I need to get that, get that meal or yeah. else I'm going to die. You know, so it's just like locked in. Like that focus. survival instinct. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's very, it's a very primal feeling, I guess, what I, what I feel when I, when I get behind my drum set. But at the same time, I'm there mentally and like spiritually. And a lot of the times I'm up there, I'm, I'm like doing mantras, you know. What do you say to yourself? If I need something for myself, um, I do like a, a meta meditation kind of thing, which is a loving kindness. So I wish myself to be full of loving kindness, wish myself to be well. I wish myself to be peaceful and at ease and I wish myself to be happy. And so I cultivate that inside of myself if I'm, if I'm feeling like a little low because I want to be able to give like that kind of love to the audience. And then I'll also say those instead of wishing it on myself, I'll wish it upon the audience, especially during times when I take a little break from drumming and it's just like JT playing keys and Chelsea singing. Like I close my eyes and I just like wish the audience well because like they're giving me so much love I want to like create that feedback loop of just like me, me giving my, all my energy and them giving it back. And just that back and forth is, um, it's, it just fills my heart up. I feel like that's a common thread between a lot of high performers, regardless of the industry, people that are the best at what they do. They have the servant mentality, even though they're in how very powerful positions where if they wanted to be an asshole, they could, Mm -hmm. or if they wanted to have a certain mentality where it's like, I'm all out for me and they could do that. No, it would say shit, but just listening to 
some other people speak that I look up to and admire. And obviously I'm getting the same vibes from you right now, wishing the audience well and kind of being there for other people. The servant mentality is so powerful where you're just saying like, how can I be the person that can help you have the best experience possible? Like how can I curate the absolute best experience for everyone who's here with me right now for the next hour? Like after that, I'll crash, like whatever happens. But like right now, like how can I serve you. And I feel like that's pretty powerful. Yeah. I mean, I'm so, I'm so beyond grateful to be doing this because I, I never expected this. Like drumming was always something that I loved. And I honestly never, some people don't even know, don't even know that I drum until now seeing me play with Chelsea. Like a lot of friends and acquaintances, especially in like college, like I really didn't drum that much in college. And when I did, it was for myself. I didn't really talk about it. And drumming came back into my life when I moved to Brooklyn and I brought my drum set to Brooklyn, I was able to play all the time. And it was just like when chance met, like and preparedness met this opportunity of just going to go play of Chelsea and getting in front of these crowds. Like I'm, I'm so grateful to be able to play for all these people because I never expected any of this. Mm -hmm. And like, I want to give them everything and uh, yeah, I want to, I want to serve them however I can. How did you link up with Chelsea Cutler and her crew? So my business partner at Baron Owl, the management company I run, was interning with her management company. And their drummer at the time, he was taking some other gigs. And so I went and uh, I got asked to sub on a couple shows. And, For Chelsea? Mm -hmm. And at the time I was, I was working at another corporate job um, doing music distribution for this awesome company called Fuga. Okay. And this is based out of New York? They have a satellite office here, but they're an Amsterdam-based company. Okay. Um, and I was running all their pitches for, uh, for America. And gotcha. It was a sick job. Yeah, because you're, you're literally pitching music, it sounds like, yeah. to whoever, Apple, Spotify, mm -hmm. the guys you were working with. Yeah, and I love, I love talking about music. So it yeah. was just like ideal. Um, if I was to be in, in the corporate world, like that was a job that like, I was also really grateful to have. But I took vacation days from, from that job to do like a mini tour. And then a month later, the same thing happened again. So I took a couple more days. And then right before, like pretty much two days before her first sold out headline tour, I got a call and they were like, the drummer, um, her drummer can't do the tour anymore. And you're the only other guy who knows the music. And Damn. so I had to make a, like a leap of faith decision. Like This is a day before the tour starts? Yeah. Yeah. And you're working full time for Fuga. And it was one of the most scary things ever. I mean, there was, I wasn't either way, like I was going to be fine, but it was, it was really, it was like, do I go and follow my dreams of being a drummer or do I continue my life in the business world? Like getting a salary, being like really comfortable, like it's a very comfortable lifestyle, you know, like going off. I didn't know what was going to happen after those five weeks of tour, like anything like could have happened, but Chelsea's career is, is doing really well. And and it's it's just been we've just been nonstop touring, so it's been it's been really healthy for now. But I don't know. I'm I'm really I call like all my best friends. I call my parents. I call my lawyer. Like within like one hour, I was like, "Do I do this?" You know, ninety percent of people like do it. Like this is what you've always wanted. So I com I committed. Who said no? My mom and my and my lawyer. Your but, mom said no. You know, oh my god! My, my mom, my mom's the best. My mom is the yeah. best in the whole world. She just wants me to be happy and, and comfortable. She wants to yeah. see me thrive, and she was worried that this was going to be a decision that 
would make me really happy for a short short term period, but then like be kind of uh, drifting drifting away. And like I really appreciate my mom's insight always. She's she's always been a, a huge part of my life, and uh, so her opinion really matters to me, but I knew I, I just had that, you know, when you have that gut feeling of it's yeah. the right decision. That's how you know it was meant to be because if your mom's saying this might not be the best idea and then you do it anyway, mm-hmm. that's, that's pretty powerful. If I said, you know, if I was quitting my job or if I was pouring my heart out saying, you know, mom, I got to do this. This is, it's, there's not going to be as much job security I'm going to be moving around a lot, but I know I have to do this. And then after my mom, just like, I don't think you should do this. I'd be like, damn mom. Like, yeah. And you had one hard. day too. So it's kind of like a concentrated dose of a process. Like if, if people are going to leave their full-time jobs for another pursuit, whatever it is for you it was being a tour drummer for Chelsea Cutler, you usually have a, week or month period, something along those lines to kind of go through calmly. All right, this is the pros. These are the cons. This is everyone in my life I care about. I'm going to talk to. I'm going to have, you know, a week to just sit on this and and think about it and see if anything comes to me. But you had 24 hours to kind of go through a a concentrated dose of leaping off the cliff. That's crazy. It was a very crazy feeling. I was I was literally in like a fetal position for a while. Like I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. Like I was I was in my bed just. Yeah, I would be position. too. I'd just be yeah. like, "Fuck, I guess I'm just gonna do this." <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I learned I learned so much. You know, a lot a lot of my life, good decisions, bad decisions, good times, bad times. I've always had the perspective of what am I what am I learning from this experience? So that's it's like I always think everything is for the good. There was a story that was told to me. It was like a, a ch- children's story when I was like 13. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the story at all, but I just know the. I remember the motto, the the ending of the story was everything is for the good, um, as long as you can can find the value in it. And so that's how I've led a lot of my life. And so I was like, okay, like if if this ends poorly, if this doesn't do well, like I know I'm going to learn something out of it. Um, there's always there's always a lesson in everything. There's always a lesson from everybody around you whether it's good or bad, like just find the value in it and apply it to your life. And like you're going to, it's just going to help you. Yeah. Does that raw energy that you feel on stage ever get in the way of the actual performance? Because just from the observer's perspective, it seems like it's very easy for someone to get out of control if they're feeling all of that energy from the, the technical aspect. Is there ever... Are there ever moments where you feel like you have to dial it back or like things are getting too crazy or you're, it's more like a violent control where you're always, you know, you have that feeling inside you, but the, the technicality aspect is always there. I feel so alive. Like I don't feel, I feel more in control or at the same time, less in control. I don't know. It's like, mm-hmm. the, it's like I let go of, of everything and it's like a paradox. The more I let go, the more I feel more capable. I don't know. It's a, it's a crazy, it's a crazy feeling. I don't know if this will be a, a good analogy. I feel like it's kind of a decent one, but so it just makes me think drawing on my baseball experience. When I was younger, a lot of baseball training is based on breaking down the pitching motion and being very technical about it. 
And a lot of that takes away from your raw power that you can generate because you're always thinking about, you know, planting your foot, lifting your leg up, planting it again, getting your scap squeeze and eventually throwing the ball. So until I was 18 or 19, that was my view of pitching. Where I was just like a huge thinker on the mound. I was constantly thinking about what my body was doing until one day, one of my pitching coaches told me, he just said, you know, if you were going to throw a baseball as hard as you can, is that how you would do it? And I was just like, probably not. <laughs> and so he's like, all right, show me what you'd do. If you had to throw a baseball right now, we were in the bullpen at school. How would you throw the ball? So I just took two huge crow hops, just fucking like, I missed the net. So I literally just launched it over into the stands. And he's like, didn't that feel a lot better? And I was like, yeah, that felt fucking amazing. So from that point on, I kind of tapped into this violent control on the mound that I never felt before to the point where I wasn't really thinking. I knew in practice, my body was going to do what it had to do. So once it came time to be in the game, I could just go out there and throw the shit out of it. And I wasn't thinking about all these mental cues like I used to. It sounds like that could be something similar that you feel with drumming. Definitely. That's how I feel. But I also think now, now, now you say that it's a lot of like training and repetition but behind that, mm-hmm. that allows me to be in that state and feel so comfortable in that state is because I know that I've put in the work already. You know, like I, like every day I sit at home in front of a practice pad or on my drum set and just I'll put a timer on and I'll just put it like the fastest BPM I can and just practice with one hand at a time until like I can't move my arms anymore. So it's, yeah. like, it's like when you put in that time and all the training, it's like you, you, you feel comfortable when you, when you get, when it's time to perform that when you unleash that energy, your body is going to do the right thing and your mind's going to do the right thing because you've done it so many times. Yeah. Like if you want to play with that energy, you have to know your shit or else things are going to yeah. get out of control. So you have thousands of repetitions behind the scenes where mm-hmm. you're just mapping your body. You're getting the muscle memory down so that when you insert that energy into the show, it's going to fill in the, the, the motions of what you already know how to do. It's not going to get out of whack. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think, I think that's definitely a big part of it. And like, I think that's also, you know, we've, you've touched upon meditation a little bit. I think if you can view your training as also like a meditation and you can kind of change your perspective on like, cause sometimes it's tedious and boring, but meditation is about focusing on like, you know, at the basic on your breath. And that's the most monotonous Mm -hmm. thing in the world. So if you can find beauty in, for me, just hitting a drum as fast as I can for a long period of time, and I can just lock into that and just stay present with that, it changes the whole, the whole training game, you know? If you yeah. can find just the beauty in the simplicity and the movement. Do you have a consistent meditation practice? I have a couple. I, I've tried to... I'm trying to now get meditation to be just a part of my life all the time. So mm-hmm. I have I have meditations I do when I'm just walking around. I have walk walking meditations um, when I have time. Like I don't I don't really do a lot of sit, sitting down meditation anymore mm-hmm. um, because I'm I'm really just on the go all the time. So when I'm on a plane or on a on a subway, I'll I'll pretty much do meditation where I focus on my breath or the meta meditation, which I touched upon before. Yeah, the loving kindness. Yeah, I'm always trying to cultivate more more love inside of me. A long, for a long period of time, I really struggled with loving myself. Mm-hmm. And I found through doing this meditation 
I've been able to cultivate a lot, a lot more love for myself, which I could bring to other people. So I do that meditation a lot. And then I think when I'm drumming, that's a meditation. Anywhere where I'm really present and giving my 100% to the moment, like I consider that a meditation. Have you ever listened to Sam Harris podcast or have you heard of Sam Harris? I've, I've definitely heard of him. I don't know if I've listened to his podcast. So he's, he's a neuroscientist, podcaster, best-selling author. He has experience with psychedelics deep into meditation. Mm-hmm. And so I actually use his app to meditate and there's walking meditations on there. I sit down in the morning right there. There's a, there's a carpet, but basically cross-legged and I try to do 10 to 20 minutes. If, if you were interested in that app, it's, it's, I think it's pretty decent, especially for being on the go. There are a few loving kindness meditations. There are different styles of walking meditations, which are kind of trippy. There's one where you focus on your... So when you're walking through the world, most of the time you view it as you walking towards an object. So mm-hmm. if you're walking towards the subway, you see the subway sign getting closer and closer to you. And this meditation, you go back and forth between that perspective and then trying to imagine the world getting pulled towards you. So you're like watching the subway sign and like you are imagining like you, it's getting pulled towards you, like something's pulling it towards you and then you switch back. And it's like kind of this weird Whoa. dichotomy of like you're the center of mm-hmm. it, trying to like imagine the center. And then there's also another one loving kindness walking meditation where you just see people walking down the street and you know you say I, I i wish you well i want you to be happy things like that hope everything in your life is going okay and you got these mantras that you repeat so that that's how i got introduced to it but it, it's cool that you try to fit it within your life i feel like i need to do that more i i sit down in the morning a lot of times I'll forget to try to tap into that state during the day, especially during transitional moments. Mm-hmm. I'll try my best. If, I, you know, if I'm walking into a meeting or if I'm getting up from my desk or walking onto the subway, I'll try to just take a couple mindful breaths and say like, all right, like this is now. Like this is everything else is past and future. So I, I like how I admire your transitional aspect of the meditation. I feel like that's pretty cool. Most people don't mix it into their lives like that. It's definitely a constant practice. You know, I I do so many different things in my life from being like on the business team at Bear Now doing management, drumming with Chelsea Cutler. I have my own music project. I do DJ events. I throw events. I'm constantly transitioning from one mindset to another. And like, there's definitely days where I wake up and like sit at the edge of my bed and like I'm afraid to attack the day. But it's like having these practices to fall back on and just to have throughout my day, like really keeps me more centered. Do you feel like it's more of an effortless flow between the different hats that you're wearing? Or is it something where you have to prepare yourself to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm a manager right now. I'm going to DJ tonight. I'm going to drum, you know, two days from now. And then I'm also starting my own artist project. Is it something that flows smoothly since you've been doing it for a good bit of time right now? Or is it something that you have to physically consciously tell yourself, right, this is what I'm going to have to do right now. I have to get into that. Luckily, it's all music based. So it's all with the same goal in mind, which is why it's um, most of the time it is effortless. I mean, but still, like, as I said, it's a constant practice of being comfortable switching from business to creative to artist to drummer. But it is 
more and more seamless as as I um, progress, you know, and get better at everything every day. Um, I'm able to, like, when I'm on tour, like during the day, like I'm I'm, a, I'm in manager mode. I'm on my computer, mm-hmm. and then I like will switch into drumming mode. But it also helps my management company because I learn so many things about live show that I then bring back to to yeah. the artists that I work with, and then. Like I learn things from the artists that I work with that I bring into my own artist project. And so like everything, it all becomes just one thing. Kind of like a cycle of feeding from different aspects of your life. Yeah. Every part, everything I do in my life helps every other part of my life. So tell me about Bear and Owl a little Mm -hmm. bit. I was listening to you talk about it on the Music Business Podcast. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you see yourselves as kind of starting the car for artists and you have this hive mind mentality where you're all kind of figuring out what needs to be done and you can switch in and out of roles. How does the the process flow for you at Baron Owl? So me and my, my business partner, Theo, we started it about three years ago. I met him. Uh, I was DJing a party in Philadelphia and he was managing an act, which one of the people in that act was pretty much the catalyst for Baron Owl. His name is, he goes by Hazy Eyes. And he was like, I, I hit him up on, on the side and Theo was already working with him. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you guys need to like come together. And so that's how Baron Owl started. Then we added on our other partners, Sky and Jet, who brought a lot to the company that, that me and Theo didn't have. And I, when we started like our Slack channel, I made it very clear that I wanted to run this company off of tr- full transparency because mm-hmm. this is art. It's subjective. We're all going to have our own opinions on sounds, on creative, on business strategy. And if there was anything that was on your mind, uh, on anyone's mind, I wanted them to be able to just say it without worrying about being judged. And because otherwise we're just going to get lost and anger is going to build up and tensions are just going to happen. And it's going to come out in weird ways and it's not going to be productive. Mm. And by being that transparent with each other, we were able to kind of all get on the same page because we didn't take anything personally. Like if someone said, I don't like your idea or like someone will send a song, like say Theo sends me a song. He's like, dude, like I want to work with this song, but I don't like the song. It's not taken personally. Yeah. You know, it's just, it just is what it is. And all f- for signing artists, all four of us have to agree on that artist. So that's how you know, like, that's how we know, we're like, all right, this artist must be something special if all four of us agree because we all have very different tastes. And we all do have different specialties. Like I definitely work more on the creative side, working with the music, working with the live, and also as just kind of like a, a guide for, for my artists. Like uh, they call me and we kind of discuss more personal issues because I try my, my biggest thing is I try to help artists figure out who they are more so they can express the most authentic version of themselves through their music. So whatever they're going through, like I want to be able to listen and not feel like they're being judged on their own issues so they can channel that into their music. So that's what I focus on mostly, but all four of us are always available at some at like some point we're all awake we're up like we're like 24 on hours on call for yeah. the artists yeah and we we all have inf- the same information for our artists mm-hmm. so no matter who answers the question like wh- like it's going to it's going to be it's going to be answered and um it's very different like there, we don't have roles like there's no roles just four partners and like like I said I, I mostly work on creative um 
but and everyone else has like their different specialties, but together we work as one single unit. Yeah. Transparency is key. Yeah. And it's hard to do, but it also saves time. It's more efficient because if you're worrying about someone's feelings, how they're going to take something, then you have to monitor your speech in a way that they're going to respond to it. So you have to say, okay, I'm dealing with this guy or girl now. I know that I can't be upfront with them. So to get them to do what I want them to do, I have to manipulate my speech to make it appear to them in a way that's going to make them want to do it instead of just being like, I think this sucks. Let's look at someone else or you're not doing this the way it needs to be done. I feel like meditation feeds into a lot of that too, because you're less reactive. At least I feel like since I've started meditating, I feel less reactive. So if someone says something to me like, oh, you know, like I thought that last podcast was garbage. Like you should have asked them this. Initially, I'll have that feeling of like, yo, fuck you. Like what the fuck do you know about doing podcasts? But then I'm just like, all right, like what, what was garbage about it? Like what would you have rather heard if you were hosting this podcast? What would you have asked this person if you were in my position? So like that, those type of thoughts, I feel like are more accessible to me now with meditation. Whereas in the past, I would have just been like, fuck this guy. And like, it would ruin my day. Yeah, it definitely opens you up to any perspective. You know, I think that's, I'm super open to anything anyone says. I'm, and like, I think that's, as a manager, it's really important too, because I think managing artists is all about adaptation to the situation because you never know. Like we, we could release a song and we could have an expectation that it's going to perform at this level. But if it doesn't, we have to be open to adapt to a completely new timeline, a completely new strategy. Mm-hmm. And so I think meditation has definitely helped me in that way as well, where I'm able to just be like, okay, like, let's not get caught up in this. Let's just move forward. Let's, let's be open to all possibilities and uh, figure out the next best way to go. How do you balance making sacrifices in your life between the hats that you wear, manager, artist, tour drummer, and I'm missing the last one, DJ. Yeah, well, DJ, artist, producer. Yeah, like, every, everything. So you're wearing a bunch of different hats, mm-hmm. but then you also have your family and friends what is your judgment process in terms of making sacrifices where you say, okay, I know two things are coming that are kind of pushing the threshold, making me want to be present at both things, but I can't. What are your determining factors that help you make sacrifices? It's been a huge struggle for me. I, I talked about this in, in like a newsletter recently. Um, I've missed like missed my best friend's wedding recently, which was like, it's like something I think, I think about like all the time pretty much because of course, like I wanted to be there, but like I also had a commitment to like my job, you know, it's, it's just hard because it looks like I'm like, I love my job. So it's like when I, when I skip like a wedding to go drum at Lollapalooza, it's like, it's like, oh, fuck him. Like he's just going to go have a good time. But at the same time, like this is, this is my life. This is my career. And I'm just lucky that like, I, I really, really, really am, am passionate about it. And so I think... It's really hard to say like when the right time is to sacrifice. It's like more of like a gut, it's more of like a gut feeling. Mm-hmm. It's like, I feel like I, I, like ha- I had to go play that show, you know, like, or I don't know. I don't know what would have happened. But yeah, sacrifice is, is a, it's a huge part of, of anyone trying to succeed in, in any lane. I feel like you have to make certain sacrifices with the mentality that you'll be able to give back better in the future. That's, that's what I always think. It's like, I'm making these sacrifices in my life 
socially now where I, I miss my best friend's wedding. I miss my sister's graduation. I'm definitely like, this is, it's not gonna be the last time I miss something important in my friends or family's lives. But it's so I can build a life that, that, I'm, that I'm interested in and I could eventually give back in a huge way. Yeah. And he's your best friend. So I'm sure the conversations between you guys were more along the lines of, I know you have to do this. I know it's a huge opportunity. And like what you were saying, you're going to be able to give back to him. So, you know, later on in your career, whatever point you're at where, you know, there's an opportunity where he's like, oh, I'm, I'm in town. What are you doing tonight? And you're just like, oh, do you want to come see me drum at Red Rocks or Madison Square Garden, wherever? Like that may not have happened if you skipped the show or, or you had to do something else for management, whatever it may be, that show might've kept you on a path that is going to pay infinite returns and, and dividends in the future that you may not be able to foresee. And it's also like, not even just giving back to that one person, but like, how many people am I affecting like in the world? Like, I want to leave a, a trail of inspiration, you know, as like Travis Scott said in, in his documentary. And like, I want to affect as many people as I can to, to feel, I want people to feel how I feel to, to make, to be able to change their perspective on the conventional way of life and live the life that they really want to like take, you know, like make those choices. And I want to be able to show that to as many people as possible. And so that also comes into play, you know, like playing in front of all these people, like I, at Lollapalooza, it's like, I'm able to express myself, express my perspective of the world through my drumming and show, and and hopefully inspire people to maybe take a take a leap into something that they mm-hmm. never expected to do for either. sure how do you balance the the dichotomy between your own experience behind the drums so it's Gavin chops behind the drums and you're, and you're trying to make an impact on as many people but it's also part of the Chelsea Cutler experience mm-hmm. like anyone from the tour manager to the drummer, keyboardist, Chelsea, anyone who touches that show is part of the Chelsea Cutler experience. Yeah. How do you balance the, I guess, I don't know if energy is the right word, but the the differences between the in, individual energy of you wanting to put on the best show as possible, but then also maintaining the energy of the show and making sure like it's still the Chelsea Cutler experience. Yeah. I mean, I play like my main person I play for is Chelsea. You know, like I play for her. So her show is the best possible show it can be. And I want to be an energy source for her when say like she's having a bad day or she's maybe a little tired for her to be able to like turn around and see me on the drums, like giving my all to like be like, okay, cool. Like now I'm fired up. You know, I want to yeah. be, I want to be an uh, energy source for her as well. You know, and the more energetic I am, you know, the cr- the crowd loves it, you know? So it's, I, I try to only add, I'll never like, it's never in my mind to like take over a show. You know, mm. it's like, I just want to add. Just like a kicker off the no. stage and start. <laughs> yeah, no, not, a, not at all. It's like, it's like, I want to make her show the best show that there is in the, in yeah. the whole entire world. So I have a quote from one of your recent newsletters. Mm-hmm. And this is going off of Obvious Yellow, the, the project that cool. you and JT the keyboardists for Chelsea Color are mm-hmm. starting up. So obvious yellow. You said that JT has been a huge inspiration for me. Watching him interact with people has influenced a huge cognitive shift in how I interact with others. He is genuinely curious to learn and views everyone around him as a teacher. That's pretty powerful. 
what made you, besides the, the obvious, it sounds like, you know, knowing that about anyone, you would want to start someone with that type of attitude. What made you and JT want to link up with each other and start Obvious Yellow? It was crazy. Like I met, I met JT like a couple of years ago. I was visiting my brother at college, like right when I got back from Australia. And JT was, happened to be his roommate. And we had like a crazy night and we were back in the apartment and I ended up in, in JT's room and he was all these keyboards and he was just jamming on the keyboards and he was so good. And it's got that massive energy. Yeah, I guess, I guess so. But and then two years, two years later, Chelsea it's got that was, Travis Scott energy. Yeah. <laughs> Chelsea was like, I'm looking, I'm looking for a keyboardist for the next tour. And like, for some reason he just came right into my mind and we were not really like friends or anything, but he came into the picture. We went on, we went on tour together and it was like, I found like a long lost brother. Yeah. It's like we just like connected just right off the bat. We're, we both have very similar mindsets about life. And uh, we're, we spend like pretty much every moment together because we, we were like in the same hotel rooms where like we slept across from each other on the tour bus. Mm-hmm. Just like our whole lives pretty much like we're circulated around each other. And so we just got to know each other really well. And uh, we both were like, we both wanted to make music of our own. We're like, let's just make music together. You know, we, we connect so well, we're able to, to take each other's feedback really well. And uh, that's pretty much how Obvious Yellow started. That's dope. What are your future plans for Obvious Yellow? What's kind of the timeline for that? We're working on a lot of demos right now. Like we, we, we've been pretty frustrated actually lately because we're both, we're both musicians, but we've never really made our own music before. Mm-hmm. Or finished a bunch of songs. Yeah, it's like a whole different beast. Yeah. And so, like, we we go into a session. And we're like, yeah, we know what we're doing. And then all of a sudden, we just get like really stuck, and we realize like it's going to take a lot longer than we think it will. But we want to put out. We just want to like put out music. We, we'll probably put out like a project in 2020. We have like 20 demos right now. We're trying to cut it down to like maybe like four real songs. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just having fun with it. Yeah, the best thing you can do whether it's songs or articles, podcasts, whatever, you just keep making them. Mm-hmm. The first time you ever do something is most likely going to be the shittiest. Yeah. And so I kind of, I try to remember that whenever I'm trying something new, like podcasting a year ago, I'm just like, it's probably going to be the shittiest one I ever do, but I have to do the first one sometimes. So I'm sure it's similar with songwriting where you just like keep pumping out songs, like keep pumping out ideas and kind of using it as a tool to master your craft. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was saying about like repetition. You know, it's just about yeah. continuing to do it. It's like, if I start today, if, it's, if today's the first day I write a song and I write a song every day for the next three years, something is going to happen in those three years. Not, it's not like I'm just going to maintain this like really like the first day beginner, novice songwriting. Like I'm going to, you're going to get better because you're just doing it every day. It's inevitable. It's just like, it's just like working out. Working out is like, it's like the biggest example for me when I was growing up, like seeing results from day one to like a year later and being like, wow, that, that took a, a long time. But like over time, I, I've, I've gotten stronger. Like I'm, I'm able to do more things physically and like taking that kind of idea and putting it into everything that you mm-hmm. do. You know, it's, it's the repetition, it's the practice, it's the consistency, it's the not, not giving up is where you see like the results. Yeah, working out is crazy. And it's this, a similar way to, to drumming where you can't, buy a good body like you can't buy a good set of drum skills yeah if you see someone that's 
ripped to shit and it looks like they work out. Like you can't, can't pay for that. You could take drugs that may help, but you still got to put in time in the gym. And you know, if you see someone that's in great shape and sometimes guys or girls that walk into your room, you're just like, oh shit. Like you pay a little bit of extra attention to them for whatever reason it is. And you can't buy something like that. You know that they spent a lot of hours in a place putting in the repetitions, whatever it may be with the drumsticks or the weights. And they took time to cultivate that, which is why I love the gym. Like there's no, there's no end point to it. You can always get some sort of physical and mental spiritual satisfaction out of just going to the gym that day. Yeah. hundred percent. Like it's, it's finding love in the process. So as we start to wrap up, a question I ask to a lot of guests is what books or podcasts do you find yourself recommending the most to other people? I guess I've read this awesome book called Stealing Fire by Stephen Coulter, which is about how different people like get into like a flow state. So it kind of talks about like... Stealing fire. Stealing fire. Yeah, it's really, really cool. I got to check it, that out. It talks about like Navy SEALs and how they get into like their like combat mode and like total focus. And then it talks about Silicon Valley guys like doing um, experimenting with like microdosing. Yeah. And it talks about uh, monks and meditation and like how it brings like all together. And it's really cool. That's wild. I have to check that out. Yeah. And then The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, which is, I feel like it's a pretty, pretty popular book. Um, but I've learned, I've learned a lot from it and it's taught me to kind of view life like my life as art and my masterpiece. And it kind of like, that's something I want to inspire in a lot of, a lot of people, his message of like, if you don't think you're creative, you're an idiot because your whole life is, is art. You're like, mm -hmm. every, every decision you make is another brushstroke. That's pretty much what he says. And so if you, if you can view your life as art, everything has more meaning and it's just more beautiful. Stealing fire and the four agreements. Yeah. I, have to, I just have a running list on my notes app that just keeps getting bigger and bigger. So I got I to gotta add those, check those out. Yeah, they're pretty good books. So I thought a good, good way to end off is, I believe I'm taking this quote from your newsletter. It's cool. either the newsletter or the music business podcast. But you said, catch my eyes during a show and you will see my soul. Mm -hmm. That stood out to me. So I hope if you are listening to this podcast right now, you are hearing Gavin's soul <laughs> through, through the AirPods, headphones, wherever you're listening to it. I know I definitely am feeling that right now. So I hope anyone listening out there is hearing your soul will eventually see it in person, which I plan to do. I can't fucking wait until I see you guys on stage. And again, thank you for taking the time to sit down. I really do appreciate it knowing that you're doing 17 different things right now. I, I appreciate you taking the time out to do this. I'm, I'm super honored to be here. You know, you've you interviewed some people that, way way cooler than me so like no dude every, everyone's cool everyone's cool <laughs> in their own way some i think the difference is that some people just have more people that know that they're cool mm -hmm. but every everyone i've talked to is cool they have their own their own spectrum so yeah. well thank you so much for this moment it's been very awesome of course all right we're out <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode with Gavin Chops. You can find everything that he does, his website, his Instagram, in the description of this podcast. Also, if you have eight seconds free, we would really appreciate if you love this podcast to go rate us on the iTunes store. 
And this isn't just to boost my ego. It actually helps us appear higher in searches, which means that more people can find out about us. So if you hit us with a quick five-star rating, subscribe, leave a comment on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this, it really does help us get the word out there. We are a completely independent podcast and we rely on you guys, the listeners, for support. And we are grateful for every single ounce of support we have gotten so far. I read every DM, Twitter message, email, and I try to get back to everybody. And I think I've been pretty good about that. Um, If I haven't gotten back to you, keep bothering me. I'm sorry if I missed that. And yeah, thank you for all of the support. Even if you haven't subscribed, even if you haven't rated us, fuck it, whatever. You're listening to this right now. Well, um, which means you're part, you're part of the journey. So thank you for tuning in to Augzoro and I'll see you guys next time.